Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I sit down with Amanda Belke. Sapphire training helps the on-the-go woman feel more energetic, find her inner peace, and become more powerful by creating a fitness lifestyle she loves. All right, so a little about Amanda. Amanda is a life coach, speaker, and educator. She helps women live a life they truly love. She coaches ambitious women in helping them identify their core values and purposes in order to align those with meaningful work throughout all areas of life so that they can feel completely authentic, confident, empowered, and full of joy in how they are living their lives. So Amanda and I actually met um, via Instagram, and I chat about that kind of right at the start of our interview. And um, Amanda has become such a great friend. We are ironically actually grew up about an hour away from each other in um, smaller towns in Minnesota. And so we kind of connect about that and we chat about masculine and feminine energy. We both grew up with brothers. I have three brothers. She has six brothers. And so we chat about, a little bit about that um, as well as core desired feelings. So if you guys are familiar with Danielle Laporte's core desired feelings, we chat all about how they can kind of change your life and how she lives her life by her core desired feelings, the road trips that she likes to take by herself and how that um, led to an article in the Huffington Post, and as well as um, how she celebrates her wins and celebrates her failures. So that was a great conversation today with Amanda. Um, I look forward to doing a little bit more work with Amanda. In the future, um, we have some things up our sleeves in terms of um, bringing you guys a little bit more um, joy and combining the life coaching and fitness yoga Ayurveda worlds. So look forward to that in the future. And without further ado, here is today's interview with Amanda. All right. Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm super excited today. I have Amanda with us. How are you doing today, Amanda? I'm doing fantastic, Andrea. How are you? I am great. So Amanda actually and I met via Instagram, um, and I've talked about you actually um, via one of the podcasts that I recorded earlier because I said I reached out to you or you reached out to me. I can't remember which way it was. And um, we basically were like, wow, we're both in Minneapolis. We both have similar goals. Why not meet up for coffee? And so this is something that I like to do um, and show people that you can do that via social media. Have you done yeah. that before with anyone else? Uh, I've done it with a couple of people before, but you were by far one of the first. So you were one of the ones where I was like, oh, this is okay. Like we can actually be friends and get to know each other through Instagram or Facebook is another way, or even just emails where people will reach out and then um, actually having friends all over the country that we just connect via Skype. And it's an incredible way that I know some people don't necessarily think that it's okay to reach out and to introduce yourself, but it's always welcomed. I love it. And I know other people do as well. Yes. And that's where I like to take away kind of that, like, um, I guess that layer or that hidden, like, I'm kind of scared to be like, is this person going to think I'm crazy? When usually if you're connecting with this person, they probably feel the same way about you and you just have to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Everyone kind of feels the same way, right? They all want to feel connected. They all want to feel seen, valued, and heard. So if you're reaching out to someone because you genuinely want to connect with them, they are absolutely going to welcome that. Yes. So before I keep going on, um, I do want to have you introduce yourself. So tell us a little bit more about yourself and kind of how you got into entrepreneurship. Yeah. Great question, Andrea. So I am not your typical entrepreneur. I would say I, I can definitely um, remember the days back when I was in college and I was telling people that I would never want to be an entrepreneur or own my own business because that seemed like way too much work with unpredictability, which I didn't care for. And it just seemed kind of insane to me. And I really liked the idea of working in the corporate world. And then fast forward a couple years, I was into um, my first job after college and I got introduced to life coaching and that completely changed my world. So after I was introduced to life coaching, I actually ended up hiring my own life coach. And then I went through the training at the Coaches Training Institute, so CTI. And I'm actually, which is a fun fact, I'm actually helping um, facilitate the training as a leader for that um, this weekend. So that's really exciting. And 
so with that, I started my life coaching career. And it wasn't until about six months into my career where I was at a conference and it just kind of dawned on me when someone said that, oh, when did you become an entrepreneur or have you always wanted to be one? And I was like, wait a second, I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> and it was, it was one of those where it just kind of happened because I was following something I was so passionate about that I never thought about it as... I'm an entrepreneur or I own my own business. I just thought of it as I'm following my passion and whatever that means I am, that's what it is. But that doesn't necessarily define me. What defines me is the work that I'm putting out into the world and the passions I have and that I'm following. Mm, I love that. So life coaching. So how did you get introduced to that? Was it like a friend or, you know, you stumbled upon it online so I want to say the very first time actually that I first stumbled upon it, Andrea, it was just like, um, it was actually on own the Oprah Winfrey network. And yes, I stumbled across, uh, Gabrielle Bernstein. Mm. And so that was my first, like, Oh, this is a career. Like you can do this. And I was like, I was glued to the TV. I remember I was just walking through the living room in my apartment and I had it on the background and I stopped and I looked at the TV and I was like, wait a second, this is all, she's talking about all the things I care about. She's talking about what matters in life, how to live a happier life, how to be more present, everything that I cared about, but no one had put into words because it definitely wasn't anything that anyone in my life, my circle of friends at that time in our early twenties were talking about. So I was like, okay, maybe I'm just an old soul. Like this isn't a thing. And then when I was working, um, at target corporate was when I became connected to a woman who had gone through, um, coaching training and her and I got chatting about it. And then that's when she introduced me to the woman I ended up hiring as my life coach. And then that's how I got introduced to attending my first, um, coaching training at CTI. Mm, that is so awesome. So I know part of your story too, um, you know, you grew up in a somewhat small town. Um, yeah. <laughs> I have, I mean, it's a big town compared to my little, cause I grew up in a 500. True. Our towns are actually not very far away from each other. So Amanda grew up in Mankato, which is the big city compared to my little small town of 500 people. So like when we went into like the big city, it was about an hour away. So for me, you had a big city you grew up in, but you had six older brothers. So I have three younger brothers and I know that that was definitely a learning experience for me. Um, you know, just having all brothers, I always wanted a sister, but that didn't happen. And I'm now, you know, totally fine with having brothers. But how was that for you with six older brothers? Oh, great question. So yes, six older brothers. Um, my mom is truly a saint because she had seven kids within 10 years. Oh my so she's gosh. basically pregnant for a decade. Wow. Um, but it was complete chaos, which I'm sure you completely understand, Andrea, with three younger brothers. Um, so like as having them now, I wouldn't trade them for anything because they're the most loving and caring brothers. But growing up with them, I didn't necessarily feel like I had that. And I was in the same boat where I was definitely just dying to have a sister. I wanted someone who could relate to me, someone who, you know, could understand where I was coming from, someone to share clothes with, have a dance party with, um, stay up late at night talking about all the cute boys in school. And I had none of that. <laughs> um, but having six older brothers did come with little perks, like getting introduced to sports really early on. I fill up my first March Madness bracket when I was five. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah. And just really liking sports and um, they were always really great role models to look up to and emulate the same type of attitude within sports and practice and performance and what it's like to work on a team and those types of things. So that was really awesome having growing up with six older brothers, but definitely still miss that sister aspect. Mm. 
So how is it having like that big of a family? Did you ever get like feel embarrassed at times? Because I know like myself, even with just like three brothers and there was four kids, like I was sometimes like, we have such a huge family, you know, and like embarrassed when we would go places sometimes, you know, as I got older, I totally got over that. But when I was younger, I was always like, oh, because everyone's like, you have that many kids to my parents, you know, and it was just kind of an awkward thing as a kid. You're like, okay. yeah. <laughs> Wait, so tell me, Andrea, what parts would you get embarrassed about? Um, gosh, I would say probably when we would go on vacation is when I would notice it the most, never in our small town. Cause like, you know, people just were used to that, but like yeah. on vacations, you know, people would always, and so I am the shortest in my family and I'm five ten. So my brothers are like six, eight, yeah. six, six. So they're very tall. So when we went places, everyone always was like staring at us all and, um, you know, cause we were a tall family. So that stuck out as well. So, you know, people kind of, I guess, drawing that attention, I was always like, Oh, this is so embarrassing. And I don't know why, but like as a teenager, you get embarrassed easily. So I'm pretty sure oh, yeah. that was, you know, what it was. So I would say for me, it was mostly that is just people always staring, always commenting because we were tall and mm -hmm. we had four kids. Mm hmm. Yeah. So I can definitely relate to that. That's funny as you're talking about the vacations and just all <laughs> like four of you filing in because yes. that reminded me of, so my family, we had a big red maxi van growing up <laughs> <laughs> because that's all we had that would, you know, fit everyone. my kids and my parents. And so this big red maxi van, we brought on all of our vacations. So it was Everyone around town who knew us, they had the nickname. It was the Belky Bus. <laughs> and, and it was just like, whenever we would go somewhere, it was just filing out one after another. Oh, there's another and another. And it was one of those where there were four benches in the back seat or in the back part of it. And we had assigned seating. Oh, that's too funny. <laughs> yeah, it was just to, you know, everyone's going through different stages of their lives and there are certain siblings that get along with others at different times. So it, to uh, totally mitigate any of the fighting, I get to sit by this person, they have to sit on the third bench, whatever. Um, we had assigned seating in our Belky bus. That is great. That is great. Oh yeah, I can definitely uh, relate to that. Like we would have the same thing, but not really assigned seating. It was mostly like <laughs> run to the car to see who can sit in the front row oh, of the van rather than in yeah. the back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I remember that too. That's good. Uh, so being around all that masculine energy, did you ever have trouble stepping into your feminine side? Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes, Andrea. Uh, so my brothers are the farthest thing from emotional. Uh, <laughs> Mine, same, same thing here. <laughs> yeah. And so like, there was that part growing up where I still remember when I was really young, I wanted to be just like them, right? Mm -hmm. So I would always wear their hand-me-down basketball shorts because I thought that was really cool, or ask for their old t-shirts. Um, and as I got older, I started letting myself actually feel all of my emotions and get into the girly -er side of me and whatnot. Um, and really as I became more in tune with the emotion side and letting it show, I don't think my brothers quite understood how their sister could cry for everything, like from laughing to being scared to complete and utter disappointment and hurt. Like, I don't think they realized that someone could have so many emotions and feelings. Um, I still remember there was one time, um, as my brothers were older and I was, back from my first year of college, um, it was my brother Andy was trying to be there for me for a breakdown I had had when I was 18. And I found out the boyfriend I had been dating for two years had been cheating on me with you know, multiple other girls. And at that age, I was completely devastated mm -hmm. and so hurt because I had never gone through anything like that. Mm -hmm. And so I remember as soon as I found out, it was really late at night, it was Christmas break, and it was, um, it was just really quiet at home, and I, the first thing I did was I just walked upstairs, and I went straight to the bathroom, and I was crying on the kitchen, or on the bathroom floor, and everyone was asleep, so I thought, so I was like, oh, no big deal, no one can hear me, um, 
And then I heard the soft knock on the bathroom door. And I heard, heard a little whisper, Amanda. And I was like, who's up right now? And so I opened the door and there was my brother Andy standing there and he just asked me what's wrong. Mm -hmm. And all I could muster out was he cheated on me a lot. Mm -hmm. And then Andy, what he, he obviously, you know, a lot of people wouldn't know what to say in that sort of circumstance, whether you're male or female. Um, but I just remember Andy gave me the biggest hug and he just held me, Aww. which was, it's not typical all the time, but after he had just like held me for one of the longest hugs I can remember. And after I had calmed down, I just remember him saying, do you need me to call the other brothers to come home and we can go beat him up? <laughs> <laughs> and so he like, he was able to recognize the moment where after he was able to make me feel okay and make me feel safe, <laughs> that he could then make me laugh and smile and realize that, you know, the situation, you know, it wasn't ideal, but it wasn't the end of the world. Mm -hmm. And so I really appreciate that aspect of my brothers and the fact that even though there was so much masculine energy growing up, they could still, and they can still now that we're all older, be there for me. Mm -hmm. And they can understand even if it's in their own way, right? So they maybe don't feel the same amount of emotions that I do, but now they're willing to stand in the emotion with me. Mm -hmm. Whether or not it means saying anything, but they're willing to stand there and be there with me. Oh, I love that. And yes, I think I mean, that takes a lot for, you know, the men, I think growing up with us sister, because I think my brothers all have some capacity of that. And I would say my oldest two more so than my little brother, okay. um, just because I, he was in fourth grade when I graduated high school. So like, I, yeah. you know, like he was little and Absolutely. so like, he didn't get to spend as much time with me. And so I don't, I think he lost some of that, I guess, growing up with a female or, you know, and I could see that in his relationships, mm -hmm. like he's he's his own personality to begin with, but like having that sister and having kind of that feminine en energy around, you know, even if it might be, cause I was definitely more masculine energy growing up, but yet still had some feminine side to me, you know? So seeing that, I think that helps, you know, both men and women kind of show how to act. And if you don't have like siblings or a sibling of the opposite sex, you know, you kind of learn that from the parent. Yeah. Oh, that's such a great point. I'm curious to know with you, Andrea, being that, you know, I was the baby of the family mm. and being the female in your family and the oldest, how do you feel like that feminine energy kind of set the precedent for your brothers? Do you feel like it impacted them seeing that their oldest sibling was having, was able to experience different things and that made it okay for them? Or what, what do you think it had mm. on on them growing up or even now? I would definitely say I would be more of the masculine energy, like period. Like I don't remember okay. ever crying in front of them. Mm -hmm. I, my mom didn't, my mom is definitely more masculine energy, okay. even more so than me. <laughs> and so, um, you know, like wearing a skirt, like I would mm -hmm. do that occasionally, you know, but I would always be like in t-shirts and in like jeans to school. Okay. Like I rarely yeah. did my hair. I didn't wear makeup in high school. Like I would wear my hair in a ponytail most days of the week. I didn't want to straighten my hair. So I would not go to school. Like I would go to school with wet hair. Um, yeah. you know, like I just, I don't have a ton of the feminine energy I would say growing up. I've stepped into it a little bit more now. Um, but even then it's so funny when I go home, if I'm like dressed in like a nice dress or like, you know, something feminine. I feel awkward around my brothers almost. Cause I'm like, feel like Do I don't really? fit in. Yes. Fascinating. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's kind of like probably me. So I would say I adapted more so to that masculine energy. And I was the, you know, me and my second uh, brother, we are both kind of the sporty ones. And so I, you know, being the oldest, like I was pretty good at sports. And so that yeah. was kind of my role, I guess, in our family. And, you know, cause I think we all had different roles that we played and that was my role. And that oh. probably was my way to relate to being, you know, like one of the guys. That's such a great point. You just brought up about roles in families. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that role that you had growing up, that your role has changed now 
Hmm. That, oh gosh, has my role changed now? I would say yes, but in a sense that I'm not there as much. So my brothers all still live back on the farm. And so I don't see them as much as they, I mean, they get to hang out all the time still. So mm-hmm. it's changed in that dimension where like I will go down there, but we can still pick it up right where we left it off type of thing. Okay. Like there's no, like I can still shoot the breeze. Um, I still though will wear, I mean, just like t-shirts and jeans are preferred like around yeah. them, you yeah. know, and that's, but I it's also I lived on a farm. And so like, you're not really going to be dressed on a farm because that's just not practical. Exactly. I think some of that's probably a combo of all of those factors. Um, But yeah, it's definitely, if they come up here, like I have no issues dressing nice or wearing a dress or dressing up. So maybe, maybe that would be it. This is more my environment or where I've stepped into more so in like a metro area compared to the farm. I love that comparison of metro area compared to the farm. Um, I also am really curious to know if you can relate to this at all in terms of, you know, being the one in your family that's the female. So I I don't know if this is true for all um, families that there's just one female in the family. Um, But I would love to know your thoughts because with me being the youngest and the only female, I feel as if the role in my family that has been given to me now, not directly, not by anyone, it's just something I feel like I kind of um, assumed the position. Mm. And it's all around keeping everyone together. Mm. So keeping the family together, keeping the communication going, because sometimes I don't feel as if my brothers are as aware of communicating with one another and communicating with my parents and just always being that um, kind of, not mediator, because there's nothing really going wrong, but just that one person that's connecting everyone and making sure everyone's on the same page and just being aware of how everyone's feeling. Do you get that at all or is that totally in left field? No, I have um, my sister-in-law actually. So I have both of my sister-in-laws are also the only girl. So one of my husband's sister has, you know, my husband has three brothers and a sister. So she's the only girl. And then my brother that is married, she has three younger brothers. And so like, it's very interesting because we all get along, you know, fairly well in the sense that we all have that kind of we grew up with guys. So the, like the communication wise, we don't need as much communication, I would say as maybe someone who had more sisters because Mm -hmm. we, that's just what guys don't tend to sit and talk. Like I'm, I don't ever call my brothers like rarely ever. Like I just randomly text one the other day and, um, like that was it. And I, otherwise we see each other, (laughs) we see each other. Like we're such dudes Mm -hmm. in that sense. Yeah. Um, And I don't, I, I, over the holidays, I would say that's the biggest time. If I'm like, Hey, this is what we need to do for, you know, you know, Christmas time or Thanksgiving, or, Hey, mm-hmm. did you guys remember that it's mom's birthday? Like I'll yes. send those texts like that. Like I send like those texts all the time. Yes. And so that's pretty much what I will do. But other than that, um, I definitely understand and see where you're coming from. And I, my sister-in-law, my husband's sister, in particular, I know she does that for like her family. She's kind of that, Hey, did you guys remember this? And I, mm-hmm. I can see that from a lot of women who have maybe male siblings and they're the only female because right. we are, or we tend to be better as females um, at communicating and organizing things. Oh, exactly. And I just find that so fascinating. That's not necessarily a role you go out to kind of obtain, but it just somehow lands on you. Mm-hmm. And I listened to, uh, it was Shalene Johnson. She had said this, I don't remember where, in a podcast or something I had heard. And she had commented that she was doing that with a group of friends. She, she was the communicator. She was the organizer oh. for her friends. And yeah. so she just, that was her role. Now she didn't want that role necessarily. It just kind of fell in her plate because she was the one who always did that. So she decided to step away from it. She's like, I'm not going to plan anything. You know, I'm just going to let someone else take over. I'm tired of doing it. Well, mm-hmm three months go by, nothing. Six months go by, nobody's playing anything. And so she was like, 
what in the world? Like nobody's taking over this role. So then she had planned everything for like the next month because they hadn't seen each other in so many months. Mm-hmm. And then everyone in the group was like, oh, thanks so much. You know, we just assume that you, Shaleen, are going to do that because that's kind of your role in our group. And so that was her kind of eye-opening moment where, oh, that is my role or my perceived role, which I always found fascinating because I think it's kind of similar than in the sibling is that's kind of your perceived role and your brothers all assume that that's what you're going to do. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you took away that, they're all going to be like, well, who's going to do it now? Like no one, (laughs) you know? Yeah, no, that's such a great point about bringing it up about friend roles too, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of, you know, what are those roles that you actually want in life? And what are those roles that just get assigned to you and being reflective on them? Because you might be living a life that you don't care for right now because of all these different roles that got placed on you just by, you know, autopilot, by not paying attention and not noticing that had an effect. But if you take the time to realize what roles you're playing in your life and how they affect your life, how much different your life can be if it's, act- if it's the things that you actually want to say yes to first you're doing out of obligation. Yes. That, that's such an important thing. I think so a lot of times we just kind of get swept up in our, you know, daily, Oh, this is what I should do because that's, that's my role. And then never really second guessing or looking, do I really like that? Is that how I actually feel? So yes. speaking of feelings, um, I want to talk about Danielle Laporte's core desired feelings. Cause I know that's something that you really, um, enjoy and practice. And it's something that I've been practicing the last few years as well. So for anyone out there, can you kind of brief overview what it is and then how you kind of got started with it? Oh, Andrea, I don't just enjoy this. I love (laughs) this. This completely changed my life, Um, which I know you and I have gotten a chance to talk about this a little bit too. I think this might've been one of the things that we actually first connected over. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I love about this is the fact that your core desired feelings. So if you aren't aware of it, so Danielle Laporte has an incredible book called The Desire Map. And basically in there, like just breaking it down very black and white, like high level, um, it talks about how behind everything you do in life, there's a core desired feeling you're going after. And so thinking about that, so with all the goals that you have set for your life, right? Mm. We all set goals in some way, shape or form. Some people write them down, some people don't, but you all have some sort of result that you're trying to attain. And um, what she talks about in the book and in the whole concept of core desired feelings is it's really not about the thing that you think you want, but it's about the feeling that you think that thing will give you. Mm. So, which I was like, when I first read that, I found it so fascinating. Mm -hmm. So I was actually on one of my road trips that I do by myself every year where I just drive and see where I end up. And it was the first night where I came across that. So I was like, I'm going to do a little experiment. So I called every single one of my brothers that (laughs) night. And I like no small talk. It was just, Hey Luke, what's one of your goals? And then he told me and I'm like, okay, so why do you want to do that? And then he told me and we kept going until it was, so what's important about that? Why do you want to do that? Why is that piece going to make a difference until we got down to the feeling? And with each one of them, we got down to the feeling Mm -hmm. of, what it was that they actually wanted versus what they thought the tangible result was. And then we talked about how it really doesn't matter how we get there and what that goal is, because as long as we get that feeling, that's what we want more than the actual thing. And I have another example about that where I actually just did it recently with a friend who was trying to decide if she should continue dating her boyfriend or not. And what started out very much like a relationship question when we were talking through this, it ended with, after all those questions, really, I just want to date my boyfriend so that I can get married and have a family so that I can have kids because I want to love and care for my kids and make them feel seen and heard and cared about. 
which was because as a child, she never felt valued, seen, and heard. Wow. And so it didn't have anything to do with actually wanting to stay with her boyfriend or getting married. It was just her having kids. But what it was is a feeling that she never had growing up that she wanted to make sure that other kids had. Mm. So do you just kind of keep asking why to get deeper into those core desired feelings if someone's looking to try this? Not necessarily why, because why questions typically shut people off. They Mm. feel like it's a battle, right? Or that you're kind of coming from it from a combative, um, disagreeing way. So sometimes it's asking why, but otherwise it's asking, you know, how come or what makes you feel that way? Or how else could you get that feeling? Or what's important about this to you? Mm. And then you kind of narrow in and on what that feeling is. Mm, That's so interesting. So this could be used for pretty much anything. If someone's thinking, um, like for instance, buying a house, like that's going to be your happiness. That's where it's going to come from, you know? And then if you start digging deeper, it might not be, there's probably something else that's pulling you there. Absolutely. And you know what? It could be something very simple too. So it's not like it's going to be this big Mm -hmm. aha monumental feeling. Like with one person I did it with, what it came down to was he wanted to have more fun. Mm. He wanted to have more fun in his life. So it seems like such a simple concept. And I really questioned it multiple times and took it from different angles. I'm like, this is just so basic. Like all you want is more fun. (laughs) And it truly was. And you know, you have to accept that it's not, you know, everyone feels differently. And he felt like he just wanted to have more fun. Mm. So how have these core desired feelings, have they changed the way that you live your life? A hundred percent, like absolutely completely because so what happened before was a lot of, in my life, it was a lot of um, indecision or weighing back and forth what I did during my days or how I decided to spend my time. And the way this has completely changed everything is because now, number one, I set goals that have soul. They have intention for me. I know what the feeling is that I want to get. So it's not necessarily about the goal, but I'm setting goals that are in alignment with my core desired feelings. Mm. And then number two is when I have different decisions I need to make, whether they are big or small, I always ask myself, is this in alignment with my core desired feelings? And if it's not, then I really value like, is this something I have to do? Like, yes, you have to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. I get that. (laughs) And maybe that won't feel like you're really connected to other people or that you feel unstoppable or things like that. (laughs) But so there are some things that just have to happen. Mm -hmm. But when it's the things like I use it in terms of, oh, my friends are having this happy hour tonight. Like I told them I was going to go or I should go. And then I stop and I think like after my day was going, however it was going, do I feel like going to this happy hour? Do I feel like connecting with these people? Do I feel like that's going to be the best use of my time where it's going to bring alive my core desired feelings? Mm. If not, then nine times out of 10, Andrea, I'm not going to go because I realize that my time is better spent other ways. Because if I were to go and do that, I wouldn't be connecting with them in the way that I truly desire. And therefore it would have just been time wasted because I would have been resenting being there and thinking about, you know, what I could be doing instead. And instead of just guilt tripping my way into that obligation, I tell them, you know what, I've, I'm really not, you know, in the mood for it, or I've got this going on. Let's find another time for you and I to get together. So it's not blowing your friends off because you don't want to do that, Mm -hmm. but it's just recognizing what you need and what will make you whole in that moment. And then by making that decision based off your core desired feelings, it helps you not have that guilt factor. I'm just like, if you say no to something, then, oh, they're going to think this, or they're going to think that because your core desired feelings empower you. They empower you to say yes to the things that are a heck yes to, and no to the things that are an absolute hell no to. Mm. 
God is great. So when you're picking these core desired feelings, um, you know, I'm pretending like I don't know. So um, just for people who are out there who are like, well, how do you find your core desired feelings? Like how in the world do you pick random things? And what, what are some examples of these core desired feelings? Oh, great question. Because it can really be anything, right? There are no rules attached. But I will say, if it's your first time being introduced to your core desired feelings, get the desire map or go on Danielle Laporte's website. I, I don't even get anything for saying that. I just love her that much and know how impactful she's been mm-hmm. in my life. But the book actually takes you through different exercises to determine what your core desired feelings are. And it's an intensive exercise in the back where you go through multiples and multiples of pages in the workbook, figuring these out. And you get really deep into it. You're looking up definitions of words and you're really wrestling with, does this feel right? Like, does this feel good once you come up with them? So for instance, of what some could be, mine are, um, they're unstoppable and vibrant and connected, curious, love, faithful, and certain. Mm. So one thing to note about core desired feelings when you're coming up with them, it's really important, like Danielle says, is to not connect an ED to the end of it. Like for instance, if mine was, I want to feel loved versus I want to feel love. So by feeling loved, you're putting the control in someone else. You're putting your happiness and your feeling good into someone else's hands. But that's something that you have control over and you can control that feeling by what you do. And so instead of putting it in the loved ED past tense version of it, um, you just, you want to feel loved because that is something that you can feel every single moment of the day if you want to. Mm. So how often do you change your core desired feelings or are these kind of like with you for as long as they resonate? I, from the people I've talked to, so you and I have talked about this and then also I have a book club where we talk about this every month. Um, And I've really heard different things from people in terms of, Um, some people will, they'll revisit them every quarter and redo them. Some people wait until a word doesn't resonate with them anymore. Mm. And that would be my approach. I don't think there's a set time frame of when you need to redo them or when you need to go through the book exercise again. Um, my approach is really, when do you feel connected to these words and when do they have value in your life? And if any time one doesn't feel right, then you eliminate it and replace it or redo it. Do whatever feels good to you. Yeah, that's, that's kind of how I approach it as well. Cause I know I, um, kind of read, well, I redid them after my son was born because different things are happening, you know, major life shift. Yes. (laughs) So that's where I found that as a good place to kind of revisit. And I was like, oh yeah, these, some of them were fine. And then others, I was like, yeah, these need to switch. You know, I have some different desires. But when you said curious is one of yours, I was like, Ooh, like, I just keep like getting stuck with that. I'm like, I might need to put that in mind. Cause I love that. Yeah. So let me ask you, when you switched them, did you, after your son was born, did you find that they tra- changed drastically or was it just small shifts? I would say small shifts, you know, like I had a few that stayed the same. Um, but overall, like it was kind of I think when I, when I first did them, that's where I'm like, I should revisit them again because, um, like, as I was telling you, like those first few months, I was kind of like, woo, all over the place, you know, kind of in that mental Mm -hmm. fog. And, um, I think I answered, like, I thought I should as a mom rather than Mm. what I actually feel. Cause I think sometimes we get stuck in the, well, I'm a mom now I should do this or I should act like this and not really like, what do I actually want to feel like? Oh, I love that you're aware of that, Andrea, and that you can acknowledge that that's a place that you're coming from. Because I don't know if you remember in the book when Danielle also talks about the feelings that you have that come up when you're going through the exercise, that internally you are judging the most, 
So if you have a feeling that um, comes up and you're just judging it, like, I don't know that I should feel that way, or I don't know if that's a good one to have, those are the feelings that need your most attention. Mm. And so there's something there. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's one of your core desired feelings or not, but there's more to explore there because there's something you're holding back. Ooh, I love that. That's going to have to be a little exercise for myself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I want to know about this, as you had said that you first kind of did this on your road trips that you go on by yourself. <laughs> yes. I want to know more about this. This sounds amazing. I've never told you about this. I don't think so. No. Oh man. Okay. So this happened a few years ago. I actually wrote, you should look it up. I wrote an article in the Huffington Post about it. My oh. very first one. Oh, congrats. Uh, but yeah, thank you. Um, so what happens is, is it was just a phase in my life when I first started it. And I just, I was so used to planning everything out and doing everything to the T. Like we're talking like 542 have dinner, cook the chicken, like <laughs> to the T, like by the minute. And so I was just really craving some more spontaneity, which really wasn't, you know, my thing, but at the time, but that's what I wanted. And so I decided that I was going to go on a long weekend. So nothing crazy. It was just going to be, I think it was like three and a half days, the first one. Um, and I just packed a bag and I got in my car and I drove and I turned wherever I felt like turning, which is the most liberating feeling when you get to a T in the crossroad, like back old country roads and you're like, oh, what side looks better? And you just turn and you don't know where you're going. And it's so exciting to figure out like what could be or where you could end up. Um, and then I, what I also did is I had a generic bucket list for my trip. So it was stop at a chocolate shop or um, find a local place to have coffee in the afternoon or whatever it was. Oh my gosh, sounds so fun. It, it really was. It was just one of those experiences that was incredible because you're so much more present. You're so much more in tune with those things around you instead of having a destination in mind. Because when you have a destination in mind, you and I have both been on those road trips where you're like, am I there yet? Mm -hmm. Whereas this, there's no destination. So you just go and you find so much joy in everything that you do. And because you don't have a timeline, you don't, you don't feel bad for taking pit stops or pulling over on the side of the road to, to take a picture of the sunset or whatever it might be. And so it, it was really awesome. And let me just like real quick side note, but going out to dinner by yourself at a sit down restaurant is one of the most awkward things the first time you do it. However, it has become my most favorite thing to do now that I've done it multiple times on these road trips. Mm. So can we talk about that? Cause I also love doing things by myself or I did yeah. well, now, before I was married with, yes. um, but I would do that. Like in college, I would go to movies by myself all the time. I went to a Hillary Duff concert and sat, well, Stop it. sat I love that. by myself. Cause my friend didn't like, couldn't go last minute. So I was like, Oh, I might as well go by myself. And let me tell you, there was a lot of 10 year olds and 12 year olds around me. And I was like, yes. you're in college. So that was kind of embarrassing, <laughs> but still fun. Fantastic. And I also was like, okay, that was like my hardest one to tackle was trying to go to like a dinner, sit down by yes. yourself, you know, without a book. Cause this was back before, you know, when I was in college, mm -hmm. it was still the flip phone. So the cell phones weren't like what they were today. Yes. So you weren't going to be entertained for hours on your cell phone. So mm -hmm. I found that extremely difficult. Like what were some of the eye-opening things that you did while you were at dinner by yourself? That is a great question because you just mentioned the two things that I do. So um, <laughs> I, I remember the first one going out to dinner by myself. I had picked this little Italian restaurant in Wisconsin and I was just starving at that point because I didn't make reservations because I didn't know where I was going to be staying and I didn't know where I would end up. So I remember walking in and the hostess goes, all right, seat for how many? I was like, one. And she goes, just one? I'm like, yeah, just one. And then she sits me down at a high top table. So there's the restaurant mm -hmm. side and then the more bar side of the Italian restaurant. 
And so I'm at a high top table, which is right in between the booths that are along the window and the bar. And I swear everyone was staring at me <laughs> because I was the only one at a high top table. I was by myself. Then, like you had mentioned, I got out my phone because I was like, well, what else am I going to do with at this little high top table? With And now I have this candle candlelit dinner because there's a little candle on the table because it's an Italian restaurant and then it was so dark and when I went on my phone the light just illuminated my face and so I felt like I was under this little spotlight for people to watch and it was the most insecure feeling ever but what I will say from that first time, obviously it didn't deter me from doing it again. And I got smarter about bringing a book and things like that. And now I love going out to dinner by myself, but. Do you still bring a book? I, I do still bring a book. I love it. And I'll just, I think one of the ones I did last year was, it was during March Madness. So I brought a book, but I also went up to a place that had basketball on. So I got a boost, got to watch basketball, read my Oprah book. It was a good deal. Awesome. Um, but the best part about it is that first time I did it, I had the best service because everyone feels bad for you when you're by yourself. <laughs> so I got my glass of wine right away. The food came out the fastest I've ever gotten food at an Italian restaurant before. And it, like the service was just impeccable. They were constantly checking in on me like, do you need anything else? Are you okay? I'm like, this is great. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Yes. I, that is one of my things that I, um, oh, I think I challenged myself the last time I'm like, okay, no book, no phone, just try to sit there. Yeah, that's a tough oh, challenge, Andrea. Oh gosh. And I've done it before and I have actually, um, well, I've also been, cause usually they do sit you at the booth at the bar or at a booth yes. if there is one. So I actually like it was a very slow night at a restaurant once and mm -hmm. I just sat and talked with the bartender. And so like, we had great conversation the whole time. Oh, yes. Like, that's another great point. Yes. It's like, you just, Hey, someone sitting next to you, start talking to that person, you know? So like you kind of, if you're open to it and um, you know, that's what the other person is as well, meaning like no phone, mm -hmm. or book, you know, and you're just kind of like, Oh, this is a great conversation. I met a new person. Um, and that's kind of the fun part too, about being by yourself. Yes, Exactly. Okay, Andrea, I think curiosity maybe would be one of yours because it has to take a very curious person to be willing to do that and to ask about someone else and get to know them when you've never talked before and you're by oh, yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love doing that. I love doing that in the planes as well. If people are like not looking like they don't want to talk, but if they are open to talking, I'm usually like, hey, yes. break up a conversation and you know, you're stuck on a plane with them for a couple hours. So mine as well. Exactly. You meet the best people and it could totally change your world. Who knows who you meet? Yes, for sure. So I know that one of the other things that you like to do uh, is celebrate your wins. So tell us about how that got started and how you honor that. Because I know for me, I always say I'm going to, but then sometimes it never happens. <laughs> yeah, right. Life, life happens. And then before you know it, it's like, wait, where did that go? Yes. Uh, which is actually the exact reason why I started celebrating every week. Um, so this just came about because it was one of those moments where I was, <laughs> it's kind of, it's twofold. So I was thinking about one, life happens way too quickly. Life goes by way too fast. We're always focused on the next thing that we don't take time to number one, be present. But that part of celebrating is not just being present, but it's after the fact and appreciating the presence and the moment that you had. And so the second piece of that is around champagne. So I love champagne. <laughs> and I was having a really difficult time with the fact that our society has put it on champagne that it should only be used to celebrate. Mm. It, like once you say in terms of the majority of times people buy champagne as some sort of celebration, right? New Year's Eve. <laughs> yes, exactly. And being a champagne lover, I was like, why don't we celebrate more often? And so when you put the two together, I was like, there's always something every day of your life or every week of your life to celebrate. And for me, I decided to celebrate with a glass of champagne. Mm. And so that doesn't mean I'm, 
believe me, I do not get expensive champagne. I get the Trader <laughs> Joe's cheap stuff and I make it last. So, because you can actually make champagne last pretty well with the right um, champagne stopper. Um, <laughs> I love it. So, yeah, so that's kind of how it got started. It was just like this little thing where I'm like, why don't we do this? And why, why do we only use champagne to sh- celebrate the big things? And because I questioned it, I just decided to change it. And it's my own personal um, celebration practice, which I love. And I love it so much because I, it helps me appreciate things in life so much more. So there's a fact about being grateful that's helpful in life and being present, but then taking the time to celebrate those things as they happen. And it doesn't have to be something big. It doesn't have to be something monumental. It could be the fact that, at least for us in Minnesota, hey, it didn't snow today and it snowed (laughs) yesterday in April. Yep. There are the little things in life that are so worth noticing because what are normal is right now may not be our future normal Mm. and we're going to want those moments back and so that is how i started the celebration routine every week but i will say everyone can have their own adaptation to it right so whether that's you celebrate by going for a walk or you celebrate by having an incredible piece of dark chocolate or you know celebrate by watching your favorite movie or going out to dinner whatever that means to you and whatever is important to you to celebrate, that's how you do it. You just find the important things to you that you want to have more of in your life. Mm. Yes. I love that. So then I want to talk about the opposite of celebration Mm -hmm. is failure. So Uh, I know that you also have a different, I know, right? (laughs) So the opposite of that failure, and you have a good kind of philosophy around failure. Can you tell us a little about that? Yeah. So I would say the only philosophy and belief that I believe in more than celebrating is failure and failing. And the reason I have so much faith in failing and why I don't believe it's a bad thing, it's just the fact that I've failed a lot of times in my life. I have failed so many times at different things and some are big, some are small. And I used to be so ashamed by failing. Absolutely. I felt like I was letting people down. I felt like I wasn't good enough. And because I felt so ashamed, I didn't want to talk about it. So I never talked about it. And then it built up inside. Mm. And then as soon as recently, when I started sharing more about the things that I've failed at in life with people, you know, when it's come up in different conversations and I'm choosing to be vulnerable and share my experience in failing, um, and not just failing, but also what I learned from it. Mm. I constantly have people saying back to me, me too. Mm. And me too are some of the strongest words when creating a connection. And you know that it matters and that other people feel the same way. And that failing is a lot bigger of a deal than we make it out to be in terms of, we should talk about it. It's something that we all have in common. It's something that makes us Um, part of, you know, it makes us human because it makes us realize that, you know, there are things that we're not going to be good at, but that doesn't mean that they don't have the ability to build our character, build tenacity. It makes us appreciate and be more grateful for the things that we have in our life. And it's truly the birthplace to living this life and living this life in a place of complete freedom. Once you decide that you can fail and you have the belief to go out every day and try something new and take a risk and fail and then learn from it and move forward, your life will only get a hundred times better every time you go out with the attitude to live that way. So how did you come about like feeling, I don't want to say, well, maybe safe to like share your failures. Cause I know that's something that, um, you know, has plagued, well, myself, I suppose in the beginning, I talked about this with another trainer is we both talked about like, Oh, as a trainer, we felt the pressure to have to be perfect and to share that perfect image that you always worked out. You always ate perfect. Mm -hmm. Like I actually ran into a lady this would have been a few years ago 
who I trained her daughters and I was at this um, place getting like a monkey tail, I think they were called. Oh, okay. It was like a, a donut. And I remember her like yeah. judging. She was like, and she even commented, she's like, oh, you're eating that? And I was like, uh, it's, it's for someone else. It's <laughs> home to my husband. You know, I totally like, yeah, know, I'm sure she knew I made it up, but I was like, it's so interesting that that's instead of just like owning it and being like, no, yeah, I'm totally going to have this and it's going to be delicious with my coffee. Like I felt like I was like, no, I need to lie because trainers shouldn't have a donut every once in a while. So let me ask you this, Andrea, why do you feel like, why did you feel like trainers shouldn't have a donut every once in a while? I think that was the old, I guess, fitness philosophy and model. Um, I mean, the last few years, it's gotten a lot better because I've been in the industry for uh, going on 10 years now. And it's, it's definitely shifted because in the beginning, I feel like people expected that and wanted you to be perfect. And, um, very judgy, like in the beginning. Yeah. I just know that clients in the beginning too, like you really had to be, you know, acting and looking a certain way. Um, it's mm -hmm. shifted so much more in the last few years, but in those beginning years in the gym setting that I was at, that was definitely something that people looked upon you like an expert, but you mm -hmm. had to definitely back that up and never have like a quote unquote slip up. So like now, you know, people, which of course, everyone, you know, like I would have like a cookie, but I'm not going to share that with the clients because they aren't expecting that of me. You know, whereas now it's much more comfortable to be like, no, like everyone does eat a cookie now and then everyone yes. does have, you know, a glass of wine on the weekends. Um, you know, if that's their thing, whatever it is, like people are just much more comfortable sharing that and showing people that no, we are human too. Like we have those, um, indulgences. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a great point because that's all around how we feel more relatable, right? That's how we relate to one another. And I think, you know, back to your question about how did I first do it? It was just a matter of, you know, the topic came up and it was just one-on-one -on -one in a conversation with a friend where I shared that and she had the biggest realization of me too. And then from there it just spiraled and I started experimenting with it and you know, when the conversation led to it, I would share something I failed at and I would see how they responded. And so much so that now I don't even question it. If I failed at something, I let them know if that's the conversation because everyone I've talked to, they consistently say that they, they have a fear of failure and it holds them back in life. And there is no reason to be held back in this life when we have complete limitless possibilities. You know, when we have dreams that we wanna go after and things that we want for our life, how crazy is it that we let the fear of failing hold us back? Mm. Yes, and I heard this on, uh, it must've been someone else's podcast, I don't remember which one, but they had said, um, it was a gal that was being interviewed, her father, every time she got home from school, asked um, her when she was little, what did you fail at today? Mm -hmm. And was treating it like a good thing. And so I was like, yes. oh my gosh, that's brilliant. I want to do that with my son. You know, just show him, yes, try things. Like, oh my gosh, you tried to do this new like snowboarding yes. trip and you failed. That's awesome. You know, whatever that might be. Right, exactly. Because it's just an attitude or a mind shift change in how people respond to it. Because the reason we felt ashamed for failing is because of the negative response. But if we learn something from it and it moves us forward, then to have someone like you telling your son, encouraging him to go out, yeah, like, let's try something new, Jalen. Let's try another thing. Mm -hmm. Like, this doesn't mean it's the end of your world because you tried one thing and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. Where would we be if that was our attitude? Yes, I totally agree with that. And that's something that I hope to instill you know, upon him. Cause I think sometimes, you know, having that perfection attitude, what happens is usually you crumble at some point and it's mm -hmm. a breakdown. Yes, exactly. Jalen so, is so lucky to have you. <laughs> Thank you. I think that he, that's my philosophy and his like picking us. So I'm like, either like he picked my husband and I, or like, we need to learn a lesson from him. Like that's kind of my yeah. philosophy. Is there something to be learned? I don't know what yes. it is yet, but there we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. I love yeah. that attitude. So kind of wrapping up, um, cause we're about at the hour mark. I want to know more about your course, living your wholehearted story. 
Yeah, I'm so happy you asked, Andrea. So this is my, it's my heart project. And it's something that I am so passionate about after people I've talked to who have been craving something like this. So it is, um, yes, living your wholehearted story. So it's all about um, three different parts. So it's wholeheartedly being me, how to wholeheartedly live your life as a sister, a daughter, a friend, an aunt, a mother, all of that. And then wholeheartedly dealing with different situations or feelings of uncertainty, anxiety, depression. I have a whole section on failure and failing. Um, the overcommitment piece, because we all get in that busy life um, schedule where we constantly overcommit ourselves and how to battle that and deal with that. So um, yeah, the whole course is going to be launching at the end of June. So it's going to be June 26th. And it's really just how to how to learn to be more purposeful each moment of your day. It's removing the stressics from your life, learning how to balance your role in life um, and where you prioritize your time and how to build the confidence to be who you actually are. And in a way, stop lying to everyone with who you've been saying you are. Mm, I love that. That's, that's great. So that's kind of like what we were talking about with that, like perfection and kind of that persona mm -hmm. that you're putting on. Exactly it. Yes, that's exactly it. Yes. And I think that's more common than I think people um, would like to admit because I read that in one of the, oh, see, I can never remember where I read these things. <laughs> that's okay. You need to be taking I notes. The golden nuggets though, right? I know. And that was one <laughs> thing that this book had said. Gosh, I wish I could remember the book. But, um, you know, they had commented on that is just kind of your, like your, I think it was your shadow they called it your shadow that you put out, um, to the world. Mm. And, you know, you're kind of living behind your shadow. Like you're like, here, this is who I want you to think I am. And then mm -hmm. the real you is just, you know, for maybe the, your close loved ones. Right. Exactly. And it's like, we shouldn't have to hide who we are. Let's just wholeheartedly be ourselves and deal with the things that we have going on in life and embrace the roles and who we want to be in these roles in life. Yes. Oh, I love that. So where can we connect with you and where can we find that course? Uh, yeah. So you can connect with me, um, either anywhere on social media. So Instagram at Amanda Belke or Facebook, my coaching page at Amanda Belke and, um, then my website, www.amandabelke.com for all coaching information. Um, and then this course, um, I'll be sending out the information. So that'll all be on social media. Um, and that will actually be on teachable. So that's where that's going to be coming from. Perfect. Perfect. So final couple questions for you. Mm -hmm. First one, I always like to ask everyone since we're on the peaceful power podcast, what does peaceful power mean to you? Okay. So interesting. Um, <laughs> Because I, like, you know, Andrea, I know that this is the name that you came up with. And I was trying to think of my version of it versus what I know you've told me about it. Mm. And so, and distinguishing between the two. Oh, yeah. And so, as I was thinking about just me and letting go of everything that you've shared with me about it um, over the past year, I was really thinking about, you know, peaceful power. To me, it's all about knowing who you are and what you value mm. and being captivated by who you are and using that to propel you forward towards your dreams without having to actually speak it out loud or without looking for outside validation or permission to be yourself. So having that peaceful power to just really be captivated by who you are. Mm. Yes. I love that. That's my new, that's my new definition. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Go ahead and take it. It's all yours. <laughs> I love it. So wrapping up, I like to do a little weekly challenge to the listeners. So what would you like to give them this week? Mm. Just one, huh? Yeah. Well, if you want a couple, go ahead. I might have a two-parter for yeah. them. Um, so since we were just talking about, you know, failing and trying something new, one of my challenges is to think about tomorrow or to think about your week that you're in. 
what is one thing new that you're going to try that you might fail at, that you're taking a risk at, that somewhat scares you to do, but you're going to do it anyway? Think about that one thing that you've been putting off. For maybe it's you've been putting off for days, for weeks, for months, for years, and go out and do it this week. So that's number one. And record how you feel after you do it. What feelings come up? How does that change your perspective? And part B to that is think about something that you've already failed at. What did you learn from it? And have the courage to share that with someone else. Mm. So identify who you're going to share that with and when. Because I guarantee that will be an encouraging conversation that will help you grow in your life and your uh, future. Oh, yes, that is great. And if you want to share, if you don't have anyone to share, feel free to share it with um, Amanda over on social media or myself and, um, you know, just kind of let it out there because it does feel good to share those failures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely welcome that. Perfect. Well, Amanda, it's been so much fun talking to you. I'm definitely going to have to have you on again. Oh, Andrea, thank you so much for having me because I love everything that you are doing and the work you're putting out into the world. It is so needed. And the way that you bring it is unlike anyone else. And so I am so thankful that I have you in my life. And I want to acknowledge you for really taking risks like we were just talking about and trying new things and not being scared to take a chance and live your dream. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure, Amanda. And I want everyone to go out there and spread your peaceful power. Thank you so much for listening to the Peaceful Power Podcast. And if you want more information about today's show, head on over to andreaclawson.com, where you can also find my free guide to working out for your body type. And if you haven't already, I would love it if you could rate and review the show over on iTunes and share it with any of your friends that you think would benefit from hearing the peaceful power message. Thanks again, and go out there and spread your peaceful power.